sisters. Um, on this segment, I want to discuss the lockdowns and and the research that I've, I've uh, been going through with those. I want to present all these things to you now briefly. Okay, so these segments, you know, aren't running like for an hour. I'm going to, you know, briefly go over the things that I found and then provide you the links so that you have the opportunity to dive deeper into them and really read what I found. And then in return, if you find something on your end, I would ask that you please share it with me so that we're always learning together. And as I've said before, you know, having more than two eyes on something is always going to be better, right? Always. And this isn't about, you know, how I personally feel about it uh, because, you know, I can definitely tell you that, but this is just about looking at reality, looking at the world and taking in information so that we can form, you know, so we can have informed decisions about how to keep our communities safe, our families safe, and keep our civilization, you know, moving forward in a positive direction. So let's jump into this. First, I'm going to start off with an article that was written in March on uh, why lockdowns and halt the spread. And what I like to do is I like to find, you know, opposing arguments. So I'm going to present you with, you know, one side and then, you know, the other. Okay. Okay. Let's jump in. So this one here was written um, March 21st and it really dives into, you know, why the lockdowns can halt the spread. And it uses China and Hubei as, as an example. And, um, you know, first, you know, it talks about here, you know, with the goal um, of a lockdown and then the two strategies, one is mitigation and the other is suppression. Okay. Um, with mitigation being, you know, protecting the most vulnerable, um, to slow, but not necessarily, it says right here, to slow, but not necessarily stop the spread, but, um, you know, to reduce the peak, basically, it's talking about, you know, flattening that curve so that um, our healthcare infrastructure doesn't get overwhelmed, right? So protecting those most at risk or severe disease from infection. And, you know, this is something that, of course, we've, we've talked about that's something that we've always done historically is protect the most vulnerable. And then of course, if we're going to quarantine, quarantine, you know, historically has been done on the sick. We want to keep them, you know, the, the healthy people insulated from the sick and therefore quarantine and then protecting the most vulnerable. So that's mitigation and then suppression is locking down everything, closing schools, um, basically what, what we're seeing today. And then it talks about the numbers. Now, these are all projections. You see right here, without any lockdown or social distancing measures, we can expect peak mortality in approximately three months. And keep in mind, this is uh, written in March. In this scenario, 81% of the UK and US populations will be infected with 510,000 dying in the UK and 2.2 million dying in the US. So once again, these are just projections. 
And then when you get down here, you know, some more charts and informations, um, information there. But here's what I was talking about with uh, China. And it's talking about how China locked down and Hubei and how they were able to level off the rise in cases. And then it also talks about uh, Italy as well, how um, a spot in Italy, Lodi, they did it, but um, um, not really sure how to pronounce it. Bergamo did not. And so they were showing the differences, you know, to illustrate the difference between, you know, a place that had locked down and then a place, you know, close to that place that did not, and then showing the differences. Okay. And then they finish off with, you know, this, this week, both Italy and Spain reported their largest daily increases in COVID-19 related deaths. But if the lockdown models hypothetically and real are correct, the peaks could be, the peaks could be approaching. So once again, they're warning that, you know, we need to get a, a, a handle on this. There are two strategies, mitigation and suppression. And they, they illustrate, you know, both, both work but they believe that lockdowns will, will be the most effective, even though it's the most aggressive. Okay. Then we come to here, and this was written in uh, September. And this is talking about the evidence keeps piling up, lockdowns don't work. This is a really good read because they provide a multitude of links that you can follow. And it talked about, and you know, the, the rise in, and, and death, it talks about like all of the collateral damage of a lockdown, basically, you know, with domestic violence uh, on the increase, and, you know, the effect on mental health and the effect on uh, our economy. And and also they provide uh, evidence that the lockdowns are really working anyway. And so we're putting ourselves through all of this without being able to quantify that it has been, that these lockdowns have provided a significant, you know, a significant change in, in the spread of the virus. And so that's basically, you know, what it comes down to is that if you can't quantify it, then all of these, all of this collateral damage is being done unnecessarily. So that's, you know, where this is coming from. And I found it a good read. You know, it wasn't just somebody throwing a tantrum. Um, they really provided a lot of information, a lot of links for you to follow yourself and determine if you think that this is BS or if you think that they have some points here. You know, I'm all about just having those, having those conversations, right? You have to be able to have those conversations. So now I'm going to take you to some links. Now these are things that are being they are being quantified, like this here from Yale News. Um, this is from May 1st and shows severe impact on U.S. small business. Now, the reason why I say you can quantify this is because you can add up how many businesses there were before, how many businesses are temporarily closed now, and how many businesses are have filed for bankruptcy how many businesses are permanently closed like we can quantify these things quite easily right so this is a really um good article here and some of the links i found you'll find some redundancy but i, I included them because they added some additional information on top so while i like this one 
this one here starts to really put things into perspective. So I recommend that you definitely check this one out. This one came out in May. And then, you know, jump on over to this one. And this right here is, is an alarming figure when you see it. You know, one in six U.S. restaurants has permanently closed. Permanent. Permanent is going to have, you know, especially with our restaurants. Think about the hospitality industry. Tourism, think about the jobs that they provide. You know, the people that work here don't have to have degrees in bioengineering, right? It gives them an opportunity to generate revenue, sometimes really, really good revenue, without having to have, you know, ridiculously high level of skill and that's not to put them down but you know to be a doctor you have to have a very high level of skill go to school for a very long time you don't have to do that with these jobs you get job experience for for young people um, there's also flexibility schedules can be very very flexible so if they're maybe in school or maybe you have you know a child at home this allows you some flexibility. And then with the, the tips, you know, a potential to boost your income. So this is huge. This is going to be a huge loss here. Not to mention small business is the foundation of, of our country. It, it just is. Right? There are more small businesses than there are large corporations. Right? We can, all these things can be quantified, which is what I like. That we can look at those numbers. This right here is an awesome link because it's going to break down by state. And you can click through this and really see in DC, it'll tell you what's permanently closed, what's temporarily closed and what the total is. And you can just click through, right? Nebraska, right? It has Alaska on here, Idaho. This is an awesome one, check this one out because we have to pay attention to these things, right? Like imagine that, you know, you go to a restaurant, you're just ordering food, ordering food, ordering food. You understand the check is going to come at the end, <laughs> right? It's going to pop up. We need to be discussing these things because this is going to be on that check. And if you're like, I don't remember ordering French fries. Like, yeah, you did. You ordered French fries. So these things are going to pop up. Now, like I said, I like to try to find, um, you know, both sides of a coin if I can. So... This is a bit of a bright side. Yes, we have small businesses closing, but we're also seeing an uptick in startups because you know people, entrepreneurs, people that are, are, are that are producers are able to adapt to situations, see a need, and try to create a product to fill that need. So we're seeing that happen as well. So to check this article out, it's not a very long one, but like I said, I try to look at, I try to find both sides of the coin, and this was definitely. Um, right side it's not going to repair the damage but it's good to see that there are people out there who are trying to adapt trying to make lemonade out of lemons now from there let's move into the comparison between you know people keep bringing up sweden that didn't mandate masks that didn't shut down like a lot of parts of the world. And this one right here is an article that 
is not really favoring the Swedish strategy. You know, it's saying that their, their strategy may have been, you know, immoral, unethical with the death set that, uh, that they're seeing there. And what's interesting about this, you know, definitely check this out. What's interesting is that, you know, when you look at this Swedish surge here, and this was not too long ago, when you read through this and you see that, you know, a person here makes a, a really good point is that when, when Sweden's numbers were good, they were used as a model for like, you know, see, we don't need to lock down. And then when they were bad, they were used as a model, like see, we, we should lock down. And so I find that interesting, the, the back and forth. What you have to include in all that though, is if you're looking at cases and deaths, okay. But as I just talked about with businesses and economy, and I'm gonna get into mental health um, in a little bit in, in a second, you have, to, you have to look at the whole entire picture, the whole entire effect on that, on that country. In fact, we have to look at the whole effect on our country. Right? We're more than just people who, if you give them some food and some clothes and shelter, they're going to be fine. Like, no, we need more than that. We need a purpose as, as human beings. We need to create things. We need to love. We need to smile. We need to hug. We need more. We have to address these things as well. But read this one here. So read this, not very favorable <laughs> um, at all, um, which I, I found uh, interesting because I try to read everything. And this one here wasn't too favorable either, because obviously it's talking about the surge. And then I, I go to the surge in California, right? And this is all like around the same. So this one is December 2nd. This one is about four weeks ago. So what I found interesting, me personally, this is just, you know, things to make you go, hmm, right? Because we had to ask these questions is if you're looking at Sweden who didn't, do the mask mandates and, and really relied on their people to just take care of one another. And then you have a place like California where I live. So I know that lockdown mask mandates, you know, no eating inside first lockdown, um, you know, all just take out. Um, they didn't, they told you what was an essential business, what wasn't all of these things. Well, what I find interesting is that, we all, like globally, we all seem to be surging again. Okay, so here's another one here. This is talking about the world. So this is Swedish surge, California surge, and this is the world. So this is gonna go into Singapore and, and, and Japan and Russia, and, and it talks about um, New York and Chicago, Detroit. Everybody's surging around the same time. So I mean, I, once again, I'm just, this is not me. This is, this is conjecture, right? This is, this is just a hypothesis. Haven't proven it or anything like that, but if we're all surging in spite of who locked down and who didn't, and then we do look at, at, at the numbers that they have quantified, all of them say there has not been a significant difference not a significant difference from the places that did and the places that didn't. This is what I found. If you find something different, please share it. So 
that's interesting, right? Places that locked down are having surges. Places that didn't lock down as strict are having surges. Places that didn't lock down at all are having surges. It's interesting. All right. So then from there, let's talk about something that's really, really, really serious. And that is the pandemic's effect on suicides. And so there's been a significant uptick in suicide. So read this. Here's another one with abstract and also some similar articles. This is really, really cool. You know, of course, it's not anything that you really want to to think about, but once again, that check is gonna come due. We, we have to look at, at the impact on our mental health. And then this um, was in uh, July 28th. And so this is the, the guy from the CDC and he's talking about you know suicide deaths compared to COVID deaths. Check that out, <laughs> please do. Um, that, is, that is a really, really uh, significant read right there. And now we move into the effect on our children. And this one's from Cambridge and you know talks about the substantial deterioration of mental health in our youth. And I coupled that one with, all right, I, I pulled up two articles on this. Um, both articles do reference um, basically the same the same subject matter, obviously, because they're they're both on mental health issues. They came at they came at it at a couple of different ways, but the bottom line is it's affecting the youth. And what I find really really interesting here is if you come down here to this spot here, right? And it talks about the New York Times acknowledged the loneliness that children feel this year, but echoed a sense of inevitability describing the experience of a two-year-old who, upon encountering others, says, uh-oh, people. Right, think about that. A two-year-old at two, uh-oh, people. The time explains that she's part of a generation living in a particular, particular new type of bubble, one without other children. They are the toddlers of COVID-19, gone or her and many peers are the play dates, music classes, birthday parties, the serendipity of the sandbox or the side-by-side -side flyby on an adjacent swing set. Now, the reason why I find this exceptionally interesting, actually, that's interesting and more alarming, is that it's alluding to calling the toddlers of COVID-19, right? they're labeling a whole generation we're going to grow up by what they're alluding to in a new kind of bubble. I find that alarming, very alarming actually. That is not how human beings develop. That's not normal. But I'm gonna to touch on normal and abnormal in another segment. But hey, I just want you guys to check this stuff out. I find it very, very, um, you know, interesting and alarming. And, you know, on a personal note, I don't believe that we should be locked down. I don't believe that we should have ever been locked down. I would rather take more of the mitigation strategy where we protect the most vulnerable and we leave liberty alone 
we inform the people. That's what you do with people that you care for and you love, you inform them, and then you trust them to make the best decisions for their lives. You trust them to assess their own risk. So that's how I personally feel about it. I think that we're gonna pay a huge price for this. And I think that, you know, years from now, they're gonna look back and be like, yeah, why did they do that crazy stuff? So we should not be locked down. Don't believe in them at all. I think that, that people are better than what our leaders are giving us credit for. I think that we would take care of each other anyway. It's what I saw in the beginning and it's what I see now. I see incredible acts of grace and kindness on a regular basis. There are a small minority of people who are just assholes, but that's, that's the human condition. And most people would just take care of one another. We would protect one another. We don't need to be told to. We don't need to have our liberties taken away and made to do it. And there's gonna be some serious ramifications moving forward. And I, and I think when that check comes, we're gonna, we're gonna come up short. We're not gonna have enough to pay that check. So that's how I personally feel about it. But hey, let me know what you think. If you have other research, please share it with me. And as always, if we are moving in the dark, all we need to do is turn on the light, okay? All right, see you soon.